another bit of advice I can give, to be honest, is that sometimes you, even if you raise it and things aren't followed through properly or it is brushed under the carpet, you do feel like you have no choice but to find something else and leave. And it's far better to leave a toxic environment than it is to stay in it and have it affect your mental health drastically like it did with me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cybersecurity Sessions, our regular podcast exploring all things cybersecurity. I'm your host, Cyril Noel Tago, Principal Security Researcher at Netasea, the world's first fully agentless bot management product. Today, we're going to be investigating mental health, bullying, and neurodiversity in cybersecurity. Stress and burnout are real challenges for this industry, with increasing workloads, long hours in front of screens, a constant barrage of alerts, and an expectation to be always available. In fact, research from Deep Instinct found that 45% of cybersecurity professionals have considered quitting the industry due to stress. So how can we try and tackle this problem? Well, I'm pleased to be joined on today's episode by security awareness consultant and mental health coach, Lisa Ventura. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Cyril. It's great to be here. Would you like to uh, introduce yourself to our listeners, please? Sure. So my name is Lisa Ventura. I'm the founder of Cybersecurity Unity, and we're a global organization that aims to unite the cybersecurity industry to combat the growing cyber threat. But amongst various projects that we undertake, we do a lot of work within mental health support services and awareness raising of the problem of stress and workplace bullying as well. And I'll be interested to hear how you came about into the kind of the mental health role in particular. So I'd always had a, a strong interest in um, a lot of different areas of, of, of mental health and, and so on. Over the years, um, I've had my own struggles uh, with it. I was diagnosed with complex PTSD, um, depression and anxiety. And that was from um, enduring a lot of um, bullying from within my lifetime, not just uh, within the cybersecurity industry. and because it was an area that I was so passionate about, I really wanted to help others that I could see were struggling with their mental health um, in the cybersecurity industry. CISOs in particular have a, a, a challenge because they need to be sort of online 24-7. If there is a cybersecurity attack or a data breach, everything is always usually aimed at, at, at them. And they're under significant pressure to deliver 24-7 be on hand to stop attacks. And if one does happen, have it all um, thrown at them as well. So that was why I decided to go down that route and um, look at um, becoming a, a mental health coach. And I'm also a fully qualified mental health first aider as well. Great. And, and I hear that you're, you're a mindset coach as mm. well. How, how does that differ from a, a mental health coach? Well, that's around uh, trying to support individuals within cyber with their mindset when things might be going a bit you know tough or they might have had a data breach or they might be under significant pressure so that's you know all about keeping your mental health in check but also providing that motivation that you know support the fact that you know somebody's there just to be able to lend a hand or, or, or to listen and to um, keep cyber professionals focused on their goals and, and what they want to achieve. And, and I mean, the, the cybersecurity industry, right? You said it yourself and kind of the, the stress that CISOs are, are under. Do you think compared to other industries, stress is, is a major problem for cybersecurity or do you think it's across the board? 
Um, I think it, it's across the board. And of course, it isn't just um, CISO. Cyber professionals across the board can be affected by it. Cyber in particular does have a stress and burnout problem. And as a result, it also has a retention problem with many leaving the industry because of the immense stress and pressure that they're under in, in their roles. Um, and it's definitely something that needs to have a lot more awareness uh, raised about it. And I guess that becomes a vicious cycle, right? Because you've got this the skills gap, right? But then you've also got people leaving the industry due to stress, which means the people who are still there have higher workloads and then the stress goes up. So as individuals, how can we look out for ourselves and, and our colleagues um, from a mental health perspective? For me, the biggest thing is check in with your colleagues and um, people that you work with. Um, just ask if, if they're okay, you know, if there's anything that, that they need support with or, or just need a listening ear for um, you know, things that they might be going through, etc. Um, the old adage of it's good to talk um, really does ring, ring true. Um, and for employers as well, having those um, well-being programs, access to um, talking services, counselling support services, um, etc., can be so important to um, supporting um, not just cybersecurity professionals, but all, all employees within the workplace. And have you got any advice for so when you say like talk to people? So kind of if you mm. ask someone, is it okay? Kind of most most British people will reply, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get past that kind of that barrier? Um, I usually ask questions that are a little bit sort of more open-ended and, and just sort of try and inquire, you know, how's the workload going or or maybe not even a question, but try to just um, come up with some some statements and then hopefully some of those statements might ring a bit true. Ah, yes, that's what I'm going through. And that might just open up that dialogue just that little bit more efficiently. Right, right. Yeah, that's really, really good way of thinking about it. Just kind of making a relatable yeah. thing that they'll kind of mm-hmm. then contribute to. If we look at recent times of the last few years, we've had obviously the pandemic, which has caused stresses of its own in terms of stuff like furlough and stuff like that. But another big driving cause from that has been the shift to remote work. Would you say that this has impacted how we're thinking about mental health in in the workplace? I believe it has. And I've seen a lot of people feeling a lot more isolated because of the move to work from home. I'm also a big advocate of finding the right way that works for the individual. So Some individuals absolutely thrive on being in the office five days a week. Some need to be remote-based full-time. Others might prefer that uh, hybrid mix, if you like, of being in the office, say, a couple of days and the rest um, from home. So for me, it's all about empowering individuals to make those choices and that they can be supported by their employers to make those choices for what works for them. And absolutely, there there has been a a greater impact when we had to be at home 24-7 and not in the office because of the pandemic. That was a very uh, difficult situation. A lot of people um, struggle to adjust to that. And I also found as as well with the move to um, platforms such as Teams, Zoom, online instant messaging channels as as, as well, um, that bullying and and, and abuse kind of increased on those channels. And it's almost like people feel that they have a license to be able to just sort of say what they want because they're at the end of a keyboard and that there's no sort of ramifications um, around that. Um, and I, I, I found that that was um, a, a particular problem or that things could be you know, misconstrued on uh, an online instant messaging program as opposed to being with somebody face-to-face um, or on the phone. So certainly, yes, a, a, a big challenge uh, when the pandemic hit. 
That's, that's really interesting around the, mm. uh, the, the bullying aspect because in my previous role, one of the things I used to do is go into schools and talk about uh, online safety and you'll talk about cyberbullying there, but you don't really think of it so much in the kind of professional sphere or at mm. least people in, in general don't think of it so much there. So would you say cyberbullying is, is a big issue these days, especially post-pandemic? Absolutely. Um, I think it, it's certainly a problem. I've seen a huge amount, um, particularly on social media as well, a lot of what I call Twitter pylons, uh, things getting out of control, everybody sort of jumping in, etc. Um, and it can be really soul destroying, especially when it's done in a very sort of public way like that. And it's it, it's a huge problem. And it's one that I um, campaign really, really heavily on. Um, and there are great organizations out there as well that are doing a lot of work um, in this area. So, of course, we have Respect and Security, um, which encourages organizations to um, take a, a pledge and follow a code of conduct against uh, bullying and abuse in their organizations. Um, but a lot, lot more needs to be done. And, and Respect and Security just do some amazing work. Um, and I'd love to um, see that, that amplified so much more and more organizations um, get on board with it. You mentioned the messages on, on platforms such, such as mm. Teams uh, and kind of one, one is that, yes, they might be being misconstrued because you haven't got that context, um, but sometimes they are actually malicious. How how's an organization mm. can, can you deal with something like that where it, it might not intentionally be malicious, but in, in other cases it might be? I think that there's a lot that organisations can can do um, if somebody does report an incident, you know, like that. Um, obviously, investigate, talk to individuals concerned, and have some really strong policies in place against um, workplace bullying and, and abuse. Um, and if you do receive a um, com complaint of this, um, try not to just brush it under the carpet, but try to act on it and um, and get some proper safeguards and things in place so that everybody feels safe um, in the workplace with what they do. And are there any other um, ways that bullying manifests itself in the workplace that we haven't covered? I can give you a, an example of something that happened to me um, a few years ago, um, in fact. And um, it was, uh, a, I've been working remotely for some time. So this was before the, uh, the, the pandemic hit. And mm. um I was on a weekly Teams call with uh, a few others and, and so on. And um, it happened to be a Monday morning and everybody was sort of saying about, you know, how's your weekend? How's your weekend? Well, I just had a particularly um, bad weekend for family reasons. And so I wasn't really feeling that whole, hey, how was your weekend vibe that right. was was going on? Um, so I, I, I actually... Um, stated that you know I didn't have a great weekend to be honest um, because I had to deal with um, an incident with my auntie who has dementia but hey it's the you know it's it's a new week and you know we're a new start and, and so on and then I got a phone call um, not long after that that from my line manager saying I should never have mentioned um, the fact that my auntie has um, dementia because it might have been um, quite triggering for somebody else that has that and it was the way she said it and came across that as well. I was so shocked. I was just like, mm. okay. A few hours later, we had another call. A few individuals of the uh, of, of the team came in, and um, my line manager was a good ten minutes or so late. When she finally turned up to the call, she was, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm late for the call, but I've just had the best news. My son, who's sixteen, has just got his first job, and I'm a really proud mother, and so on. What she didn't realize, because I'd never disclosed it, 
is that I'd lost my only son to stillbirth years before that. So mm. that could have been potentially everything can be triggering for somebody. And I was just, I had to turn my camera off because I was just, I can't, I just can't even process this that I've just been pulled up for that in the morning. Yeah. And then I have that in the afternoon and I resigned the same, the, the same day. And I didn't, and I didn't look back because even raising it, I just didn't think there was anything to come back from, from, from that. Um, and there were other incidents as well. I'd been, you know, pulled up um, for posting too much in the team's chat because I was apparently distracting everybody from their work. Yet others that were posting a lot more than me had not been asked to refrain from from posting so much. So I was a definite target and I, I just wasn't having it. And that's the another bit of advice I can give, to be honest, is that sometimes you, even if you raise it and things aren't um, followed through properly, or the um, individuals concerned aren't, aren't fully you know, dealt with, um, or it is brushed under the carpet, you do feel like you have no choice but to find something else and, and, and leave. And it's far better to leave a toxic environment than it is to, to, to stay in it and have it affect your mental health um, drastically like, um, like it did with me. Right, you're working to live, right? Mm. You're not kind of living to work. So if, if yeah. the environment's not right for you, then, then move to, to and what yeah. that is. Yeah, well, I'm very sorry to hear, hear all yeah. that. Um, if we just stick on kind of uh, bullying and kind of mm. for just a moment and kind of the, the impact that has on, on stress uh, and yeah. burnout, right? Because you've got this already very stressful environment, um, cybersecurity, and then you've got this this bullying as well. Do you think in, in cybersecurity especially, there's kind of more of a bullying problem than other industries or is it just this, the same bullying problem and this is just exacerbating the already high stress problem we have in cybersecurity? I can't really speak for a lot of other industries, but I do see that it's absolutely prevalent um, in cybersecurity, both on social media and in the workplace and and so on. Um, And it really, really is just absolutely soul destroying. And I've been at um, a few different organizations where I've had this um, happen to me. I've also seen the most awful abuse and Twitter pylons, as, as they're known, which I've not been subjected to uh, myself on, online, um, but I've seen other people that, that have. And I've always tried to you know, reach out to those individuals um, to you know, make sure there's okay. A lot of people will leave social media and, and so on as, as a result. And that's another thing that I find is having those social media breaks as well can really sort of help. And what I would urge um, anyone to say is if you're hovering on that keyboard say something just stop for just 30 seconds or so and just think how would I feel if what I'm about to say I received and just really just just stop for that 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 moment and just try to put yourself in the shoes of the other person that you're about to send that that message to because again sometimes it it might be coming from a a place you you might be having a bad day or you might have had a particularly bad you know experience or something and that spills out into what you're trying to post um just stop for a minute and and have a think because we all do need to be kind to each other yeah definitely and i think social media people find this voice that they they almost see there's this there's no one on the other side of the screen and they any thought that comes into their head that they're just kind of Mm -hmm. spitting that out but there's not really a consideration of of others i know and In our work, a lot of the time when we're looking at some of these forums where we're, where we're tracking threat actors, and especially when they are talking about other security researchers, they can be very intense in kind of how they talk about us. But at least for me personally, I know that's that's limited to, to that and I can avoid that. But with, with other people, it's kind of constant wherever 
you go online and it's almost following you around. So, Absolutely. Bot attacks are becoming more frequent, more time-consuming to stop, and cause untold damage to your brand. Thankfully, Netasea Agentless Bot Management detects up to six times more threats and stops bots automatically. Block more bad bots. Go to netasea.com. Let's talk about some one of the more positive sides mm. of, of social media. So yeah. um, I guess with, with mental health and awareness is rising on social media, right? You kind of see more posts, a lot of companies putting posts out, a lot of people yeah. more willing to share the, their stories and, and educate the, the rest of the world. How would, how would you find kind of the positive side of social media? So I have to say that, that for me, that in the last two years, particularly since the pandemic, it's been a, an absolute lifeline. I've actually developed a lot of really good, positive friendships um, from from social media. People that I've not met in person yet, um, but I've been speaking to you know for for quite some some time. And that side of it for me is 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 really really positive. And just knowing that there's always somebody to be able to reach out to talk to if if I need it is also been a, a godsend as well. So you know, social media isn't all bad. I've built up a real community. I have some amazing friends, um, and it's it, it's it's been that that lifeline you know for me, particularly over the last um, couple of years or, or so. So it, it it really isn't all bad. And what about its power to kind of obviously talking about stuff like mental health and just the the power of people to kind of share their story and draw other people mm. in? Are there any particularly good like groups that you you found or or, or kind of forums where people sharing this stuff can can help yeah. people who are going through? Absolutely. So I'm um, a member of It's Time to Thrive, which is where I did my mental health first aid um, training with, and um, I've known a lot of the, uh, the the organisers and so on, and the uh, the people involved in in, in that. Um, and there were also some really nice groups, communities on Twitter and Twitter Spaces as well that I get involved in. And also, um, actually on LinkedIn, there were a couple of really good uh, mental health support groups um, as, as as well. So there are resources and groups and so on out there uh, for you to be able to to join and link up with and, and speak to other people and just share those experiences so you know that you're you're not alone and that other people mm. are going through it too and that's that was really powerful for me um, especially with my complex PTSD diagnosis that I had talking to others that have also um, gone through it as as well or experience it um, can be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, and one of the things that. I'm at least seeing a lot more about on, on social media is around neurodiversity as well. Mm. I feel like um, in the last few years, there's a, been an increased focus on, on that, which which is really great. But for those who aren't sure of, of what neurodiversity actually, actually means, could you kind of mm. explain that, please? Yeah, so neurodiversity is is conditional things that are just sort of different from what is considered neurotypical. So, for example, that's things like autism or ADHD, um, dyslexia, dyspraxia, um, CD disorder, any of those things. And I myself was diagnosed um, as autistic in 2018. Um, so I have a lot of experience uh, with um, the condition and trying to manage it and and so on the, the phrase that i use a lot is that i'm i'm different i'm not difficult um whereas a lot of um people that are autistic may be perceived as being a bit difficult because uh, we might need you know workplace adjustments or changes or things like that it's no i'm i'm different i'm not difficult and some of those changes will enable me to work and empower me to deliver my my best work and be as as productive as possible and in particular with regards to the, the cybersecurity industry, mm. um, 
Do you feel that more neurodiverse people are being drawn to the industry uh, or do you think there could be more done to to draw neurodiverse people to the industry? I, I think there could be a lot more um, done because studies have shown that those of the neurodiverse are very um, suited to careers within the cybersecurity um, industry, um, particularly those that have that laser beam focus on things like you know, coding and um, pen testing and so on. That can be a really, really good um, career choice for those that, that are neurodiverse. Um, and I think that a lot more um, needs to be done to raise um, awareness of this. There is some great work being done um, at the moment, for, for example, where I live, there is a community neurodiverse sock company that actually trains individuals who are neurodiverse into careers in in, in cyber. Um, and again, I think a lot more awareness is being raised of this, and that can only be a really good thing for the industry to help um, fill the uh, cyber skills gap as well. Yeah, and I think so. Again, in my previous role, I, I was doing some. I was speaking with some people from from the police, and kind of they've got their kind of the four pillars for dealing with with cybercrime. And one of them is actually trying to prevent people from actually going into cybercrime and try and repurpose those skills. And they found with um, especially the, the the younger offenders, a lot of them may be neurodiverse, and they weren't finding stimulation and what they were doing, and they were moving towards cybercrime because that was the avenue that was available for them. But instead, kind of having a program to draw them into the, the industry aid reduces the amount of people doing the crime and helps, yeah. the, helps the defenders. So um, are there any um, programs you know about at that young level? Um, not that I've come across personally at, at the moment, but I know there's a lot of good work going on um, out there. And IASME, close to where I live at, at the moment, they do a lot of work um, to support um, individuals in uh, neurodiverse into careers in, in cyber. Um, so they're a good organisation to link up with. Again, it, it's Time to Thrive, who I did my mental health first aid training with. They do a lot of programmes for those that are neurodiverse. Um, so there are some great things that are out there. And for yourself, what were the kind of the challenges that you faced uh, kind of building your own career as, as someone who's neurodiverse? Um, I would say the biggest thing for me is through my diagnosis, I learned that I did not thrive or cope well in an office environment. So I was brought up that you go to school, you go to college, you go to uni, whatever it is you do. When you finish that, you then go out to work. And that's just what you do. Five days a week, you get up, you go to that office. And that's the way that life is. And so that's how I started off. I was in the office for many years, but I really, really struggled with it. And by the time I would get to Friday, I would be absolutely exhausted to the point that the weekends would just be taken up with not enjoying myself or catching up with friends. It would be, I'm just completely exhausted and I need to just sleep or rest. It, it was it was literally like that. And I really, really struggled with that. And then by the time I'd got my energy levels back up, it's Monday and I'm back into that environment again. When I was diagnosed and I made the move to work from home, which was before the pandemic, that's when I realised just how detrimental an office environment was um, for me. And that was very much because of the sensory overload aspect. So the noise, the lights, the general chatter being interrupted if I was in the middle of something, even if I tried to put headphones on, even noise cancelling didn't do a lot to drown out some of the sounds or the or, or the lights or, or things like like that, which I really struggled with. Once I started to work from home, my productivity just went so much more um, through the roof. And that's when my, funnily enough, that's when my career really did start to take off. And yeah. I could still have that downtime, but then still have that time at the weekends to do things that I, I really enjoyed, 
rather than having to recover from the previous week and then we start all over again two days later <laughs> and then that recovery as well then helps you not build up that kind of that, that yeah. stress which again helps for with, with the burnout exactly yeah so kind of we've talked about the importance of getting uh, more new diverse people into cybersecurity. but from a cybersecurity team's point of view are there any key changes that they could be making to help attract and, and support new device employees that obviously not trying to generalize because everyone's situation will be different Absolutely. right but yeah um i think the biggest one for me is like i said earlier giving them that empowerment to do their best work whether that's from home whether that's in a hybrid environment or whether that's that, that's in the office um mm. so as you said every um, person that's neurodiverse will be different in in what their needs are um, and having that empowerment that they've insisting on, you, know, you have to be in the office this many days or so. I appreciate there might be some, you know, jobs or instances where that's not possible, but really, you know, empowering people to be able to do their their best work in whatever way works um, for them uh, would be um, number one um, for me. And if neurodiverse people do have to go into an office, perhaps look at providing some quiet environments or a, a safe space or a quiet space or somewhere that they can you know go to um, decompress for a, a little while if, if they need to if they're needed on a lot of teams calls or zoom calls for example empowering them to be able to have some regular breaks in between those calls for me, that's one of the challenges of, of working for, or rather with the pandemic, when all the calls suddenly converged into being online. I suddenly found myself on you know, online call after call after call with no break in between. Yeah. And that's when that exhaustion started to creep in again, but I was able to recognize it and then start putting in some, some breaks and really making sure that, okay, I know I've got a couple of online calls in the morning then I need just a short half an hour break to get away, get some fresh air, just you know, rebuild, come back and, and do some more. So putting those regular breaks in can be really important as well. Yeah. Uh, and anything around the recruitment process? Because um, mm. actually getting the job might, might be difficult as well, right? Are, are there any accommodations there that works for, particularly well for you or might work for others? Yeah, certainly by reviewing things like um, your job descriptions and, and, and job ads and um, using a lot of um, different inclusive language, etc., can be really um, beneficial. And also, again, empowering the um, interviewees to be able to undertake an interview you know, structure that, that works for them. Some people might be really, really stressed out at the thought of having to do some tests or things in the timed environment. I, for example, always struggled with exams because that thing of having two hours of getting answers down in that space of time was something that I really, really struggled with. I did them, I passed them, but it was not an easy process or easy thing for me to do. So again, just reviewing the interview process, maybe not as well having so many interviews um, and, and so on as, as well and making the um, the stages a, a, a bit better. So um, there's not still multiple hoops or calls or, or interviews to have to go through. Yeah, yeah. That, that's all yeah re really good advice to mm. to organizations and i think kind of just having that kind of view just look look mm. at each stage of, of, yeah. of the process from the, the actual advert through that interview process and then actually once the, even the onboarding right um how, how do you make them Absolutely. feel part of the team and then yeah um right well um i think we're we're just about there on time so thank you so much lisa for for joining us thank you shared some really great great advice covered some really important sometimes difficult to talk about uh, mm -hmm. topics so I, I really appreciate your your, your candor and I, I know you shared some quite personal stuff as well so um, I really appreciate you sharing that with uh, our listeners is there anything you kind of things you're doing that you want to share with our listeners before we let you go 
cybersecurity unit is going to be doing a lot of work um, in this area and a lot of different projects around stress and burnout in the workplace um, and also to encourage more neurodiverse people into cybersecurity. So have a look out on our website. It's www.csu.org.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with me at all, my email is lisa at csu.org.uk and I'm on um, Twitter and LinkedIn. So please feel free to get in touch. Great. Thank you again, Lisa. Thank you. And, and thank you to all our listeners for tuning into this episode of Cybersecurity Sessions. And um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and like or leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. We'd love to get your feedback. You can also get in touch with us via our Twitter, that's at CybersecPod, or by email to podcast at netasia.com. Thanks again for listening and see you again next month.